Good morning. Bless your hearts for coming out this early in the morning. You've chosen to come out to a morning devotional instead of get that extra hour of sleep. You've come out to listen to the Word of God instead of get that extra hour of socialization. Decided to come out this morning, sing some hymns together instead of messing around in the hotel room. Bless your hearts. You will be blessed today. May the Lord bless us and speak to us through His Word. This morning, the sermon is entitled, Beware. Beware. What is it, everyone? Beware. Beware. Jesus talks about uh, to His disciples, beware, a couple of times. Uh, one place that He mentions to beware or to take heed is a false prophet. So we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about another instance where He mentions beware three times in Scripture. I went to a Catholic high school for four years, a Roman Catholic high school as a Seventh-day Adventist. Probably one of the most interesting experiences of my life. Uh, we had theology class, and I argued with the theology, the, the father, the priest there every day, and it was a faith-building experience for him and me. <laughs> he hated this Asian guy arguing with him during class every single day. After which, uh, when I graduated, I went to a Jewish college. It was great. We kept the Sabbath. ATMs were closed. Uh, no shrimp or pork in the cafeteria. It was like a Seventh-day Adventist university, except for they didn't believe in Jesus. There's a slight problem there. One thing of interest that I had was uh, I'd keep the Sabbath on Friday night, and I'd... Um, come back from the Vesper service and I would use the bathroom and go into the little stalls there and what interesting there was, you know, you'd sit down and, and, and you know, do your business and on the left hand side or the right hand side there's usually a roll of tissue paper or toilet paper. Well, on this Friday night there wasn't anything there. Instead there was a box of tissue paper. Huh. Okay, so I go out and, you know, after you, you know, you're, you conclude, you go outside and you go to the resident advisor and you ask him, hey, what? There's, no, there's no toilet paper in any of the stalls. What's going on here? Why is there a box of tissue paper? Well, he told me that there were Orthodox Jews in the dormitory and we need to respect them. Okay, that's cool, but what's with the tissue paper? Well, they can't tear on Sabbath because that would be work. I came home for another Vesper service on Friday, and there was another friend, uh, an Orthodox friend that I had. He was right next door to me, and I came in, and he was sitting in front of his dorm with the door closed. And I came in. It was about 10 o'clock, and like, hey, hey, you know, happy Sabbath. Ah, Shabbat Shalom. See you later. <laughs> and I went to my room, and he's like, oh, I'm just sitting in front of my room. And I was thinking, this guy has a neck problem, or he's kind of weird. Oh, okay, well, have fun doing that. And I kept walking. At that moment, my roommate came out and says, hey, open the door for him. Oh, okay. And I opened the door, he slid in, and the door just closed right behind him. Why did you want me to open the door for him? Well, he can't ask you, because if he asks you, then you become a servant, and he can't ask servants to work for him on Sabbath. So he'll sit there in front of the room. 
Now, not all Jews are like this. There's, there are some groups of Jews who, who believe in keeping the Sabbath this way. There's another day when I was walking past, and this is just this is a great experience, just meeting Jews and of different sorts. There's conservative, there's liberal, there's reform, there's secular, and there's non-Jews uh, like me. And when I passed by a room, there was one gentleman who was cleaning his room. Now, how many of you have cleaned your house? Spring cleaning, you just go all out, okay? As a Korean, my mother just goes super out on, on January 1st. It's cold outside, there's not a lot of daylight, you want to sleep in when it's, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, New, Year's, uh, New Year's Day, but she starts early in the morning and she just cleans like crazy. Here was this uh, Orthodox Jew and he was just cleaning like crazy. He, had, he took out the mattress and just, you know, uh, uh, not drumming, but taking a thingy and just, you know, just beating and just getting all the dust out. And he would take a Q-tip. He would take a Q-tip and go where the ceiling meets the wall and just go along the edge with a Q-tip. And so I was passing by. And, you know, I have these big Asian eyes that kind of bulge out, and my peripheral vision is a little bit more expanded than everyone else's, so I kind of can see this guy is taking a Q-tip and going, and I asked him, hey, uh, what are you doing? Oh, it's, it's Yom Kippur tomorrow. It's Yom Kippur. Okay, well, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm cleaning my room. With a Q-tip? Yes. We want to make sure that there's no dust in this room, and especially no yeast. No yeast. Seventh-day Adventists follow the tradition of Christians. Uh, we have communion. One thing that I learned in, in Catholic Church is uh, we went to Mass once a month, and they would take uh, the Holy Eucharist once a month or, or during Mass, yes? Now, in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, we have those little nice uh, cookie wafers that just, or not wafers, but cookie little, they just taste so good, don't they? Um, sometimes when I was little, I'd sneak behind and go to the, the cafeteria and ask the deaconesses, hey, do you have any extra that aren't blessed? She'd kind of sneak under, put it in a plastic bag and, and give them to me. Great stuff. Catholics use a little wafer, and apparently I've never had one, but they stick to the roof of your mouth. They're manufactured in a factory by monks somewhere in France, and they distribute throughout the whole world, and they stamp them with different things, uh, different sayings and different pictures. What is common in all communion bread? They have no yeast. There's something about the Jews and something about the Christians that have a fascination with yeast. What is yeast? This morning, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. We're going to do a Bible study on yeast. Put your Bibles to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And before we use Scripture, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads to ask the Lord for a blessing on the Word. Father in heaven, with our carnal, sinful human minds, we have a hard time navigating thy Scriptures. But Father, with thy Spirit, we can gain all the wisdom and understanding of the universe. We pray for the Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting 
desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, can ye discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. For the purposes of time this morning, we can't get into what Jesus is actually saying. We're going to look at the, the story afterwards. And I believe there is humor in Scripture. This next passage, I chuckle every time I read it. You see the incompetence uh, of the, the 12 disciples in verse 5 to 12. When his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the what? The leaven, which is another word for yeast. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. When Jesus perceived this, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason amongst yourselves because you have brought no bread? Isn't this interesting? Jesus says he just has an argument with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Perhaps his mind is still thinking about that discourse, that discussion, that interaction he had with them. And he's thinking the 12 disciples are watching this interaction. He's hoping they would learn from this. And he turns to them when they're in private and says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. During the whole time, the 12 disciples are thinking, Man, we forgot the food, man. Ah. Oh. Did you bring it, Peter? No, you... Did you bring it... Dude, you forgot. Oh, no, Jesus is going to kill... Oh, we have no bread. What are we going to do? And Jesus turns to them and says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What? <laughs> what does that mean? Leaven? Yeast? Oh, he's rebuking us because we didn't bring the bread. Do oh. you see the disconnect there? Verse 4. Jesus perceived and says, Oh, ye of little faith. I can hear this as a gentle rebuke. Why reason amongst yourselves because you have no bread? In verse 9. Don't you, uh, do, you, do ye not yet understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets ye took up? Neither seven loaves of the 4,000, how many baskets you took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, but that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They just had a miracle of the 5,000 and the 7,000, and they're still worried about bringing bread. Just happened a couple chapters earlier. Verse 12. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of what, friends? But of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Leaven in Latin, any biology student would know this, is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It smells. How many of you have been to a biology lab and worked with yeast? It's a disgusting, horrible experience. You come home and you smell like feet for the rest of the day. Yeast is small. Yeast is almost imperceptible. All you need is a little bit and infects the whole. If Jesus were alive today, perhaps, maybe, 
he would have used the word for virus. Small, imperceptible. And all you need is for one virus, viruli, to get into a cell, multiply itself, burst, and become more and more and more and more. Please open to uh, Mark, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, same exact story, but a little bit different. Say amen when you're there. Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Same exact story, and Bible scholars are going to ask you, what is different from Matthew and Mark? Verse 11, the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. He left them, and entering into a ship again, departed to the other side. Same, same, exact, same exact story, guys. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. As he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. They reason amongst themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. Same story. You know this again. What is different from the uh, account in Matthew and the account from Mark? So in Matthew, you have Jesus saying, and the words of Jesus are precious, friends. We need to study the words of Jesus. If you have those red-letter Bibles, that's great. In Matthew, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and... Sadducees. In the book of Mark, you have Jesus saying, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of... Ha! Liberal scholars have said, Because the contradiction in these two Gospels, therefore, these two Gospels must be incorrect, or one must be incorrect. Scripture is unreliable. Matthew and Mark contradict each other. Do you subscribe to that? Could there be a third option? Could it be that Jesus actually mentioned all three? But Matthew chose to mention these two, and Mark chose to mention one and the other. So if we were there in vivo with Jesus, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod. Now we understand this, this leaven is not... Leaven, it's, 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 it's not the actual chemical used, the actual yeast, the actual fungus used to make bread. Matthew said it's not yeast, but it's the doctrine. The doctrine of the Pharisees, the doctrine of the Sadducees, and the doctrine of the Herod, Herodians. Go to Luke chapter 12. See Luke's version of this. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 verse 1. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. If you're there, please say amen. In the meantime, same exact story. In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable, a multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Do we see anything else there? Luke just decides to mention one of them. But here, he actually defines what the, the leaven of the Pharisees is. Chapter 12, verse 1, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
Hypocrisy in Greek means to act. Young people have an interesting sensitivity towards hypocrisy, don't we? We have this keen, these antennas that emerge. I don't know what happens when, you turn, when, you're, when you're 12, 13, or 14, you're, you're happy-go-dandy, you're just you're frolicking through the hills of rainbows and, 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 and flowers and candy, and when you get into puberty, it's game over. We start wearing black, and you get all mean, and hormones go up and down, and you have temper tantrums, and you, you come to church, and you just have this scowl on your face, and you, ah, puberty. When you come out, you're like, yes, I'm over it. Young people have a sensitivity towards hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is having two faces. Go to Matthew chapter 23, and this gives, gives us a lot of insights on hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 23 is the chapter that many scholars call the woe to the Pharisees. Chapter 23, verse 13. Verse 13, Jesus says, But woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, what? Hypocrites. Verse 14, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, woe unto you, you blind guides. Verse 17, you fools and blind. Verse 19, you fools and blind. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 24, you blind guides. Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee. Verse 27, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29, you get the point. Jesus says, if you're a Pharisee, you're a hypocrite and you're blind. You have these two faces and you don't recognize that you have two faces. Young people have a sensitivity towards two-facedness. Ever hear people say, you know, he's kind of fake. Now, Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. He says, watch out for the leaven of hypocrisy. Meaning hypocrisy is very, very, very small. Perhaps even imperceptible. And all you need is a little bit and infects the whole. Many say that conservative Adventists have a problem with hypocrisy. Many people say that conservatives have these high standards and we impose these high standards on others but don't keep it ourselves. Could this be true? Perhaps that is a tendency or a weakness or a danger that conservatives can get into. Hypocrites have two faces and they have one face in public and one face on the inside. Jesus says in verse 20, chapter 23, verse 23, You pay the tithe of the mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Verse 25, You may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside they are full of extortion and excess. Verse 27, For you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are inward full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. My friends, I ask you this morning, is your outside the same as your inside? Is your outside the same as your inside? To do proper evangelism, to be a Seventh-day Adventist resonating Christian with Jesus Christ, your outside and your inside have to be exactly the same. It is hard to live a two-faced life. It's kind of hard. We're here on 3ABN. There's all this, like, you know, sparkles and points. I keep 
making fun of the poinsettia flowers. It's all the stuff on the outside. We come out, we wear nice clothes, and there's nothing wrong with this. What we have to do is make sure the outside and the inside are exactly the same. Many young people get tired of the two-facedness, so they say, well, I want to be real. And they make their inside their outside. But the problem is their inside is sinful, so they're, they're, they're real, but they're sinners all the way. And we are sinners always. But, friends, we need to be converted always as well. And your outside reflects your inside status at all times. It is hard to live a two-faced life. You go to church, you wear nice clothes, and you smile, and you say, happy Sabbath, and you do everything you got to do. But you go back to your hotel room, and you release your tie, and you say, oh, that was the most horrible Sabbath I ever had in my life. I can't stand that preacher. I can't stand that elder. I can't do this, da-da-da-da, da-da-da. And they serve that at lunch. What were they thinking? Da-da-da. And you go next Sabbath, ah, hi, how are you? Praise the Lord for special K-loaf again, you know, and you eat it. We need to be real friends, amen? But not real in our carnal status, but real in Jesus. When you do evangelism, people know when you're fake. People know. You ever have fake people come up to you? Infomercial people, vacuum salesmen? They smile and and you just know something's weird. You're thinking in your mind, what is behind this? What is behind this? What is behind this exterior? With Jesus Christ, he can give us the power to be one, inside and outside, and not a hypocrite. But Jesus says, again, leaven, small amounts, leavens the whole. Number two, Jesus talked about the leaven of the Pharisees, but he also talked about the leaven of the Sadducees, go to Acts 22, one chapter behind you. One chapter behind, not behind you, but behind, okay, chapter 22. Verse 23. The same day came to, uh, verse 23, 22, 23. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. Which say there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, the third, and the seventh, unto the seventh. And the last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seventh, for they all had her? This is just a hilarious question, isn't it? Can you imagine, in, in, in the Israel and the Jewish economy, they had a brother, uh, a husband married to a wife, and he passed away. By law, his second brother had to marry the wife. And if he died, the third. And if he died, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, seventh. Can you imagine the poor seventh guy, the last born? Mommy and daddy are like, sorry, son, you got to marry <laughs> this older lady. This lady has to walk around with a six-year-old, wherever she goes. Now, the Sadducees are saying in a resurrection day, husband number one gets up, comes out of the ground. He sees his wife, 
in like a Hollywood cheesy movie, they're running to each other, the violins are playing in the background, they're running to each other with uh, arms open wide, and you say, honey, sweetheart, I don't know what that is in Jewish, but, or in Hebrew, but they're like, you know, shalom, shalom, and they're embracing each other, and right behind brother number one, there's brother number two, he's running right, with, and then behind number two, there's number three, number four, number five, number six, and all seven brothers are just tackling this one lady. Sadducees are asking the question, they're asking Jesus a what? A what if question. It's interesting. Jesus never really answers any what if questions. Because they're what if. They're not real questions. They're theoretical and trying to stump him. And Jesus always usually, usually asks question with, answers a question with a, with a question. Well, we're not going to answer this question because Jesus didn't. Instead, in verse 29, he says this. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do what? Err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the what? The power of God. The doctrine of the Sadducees is not knowing the scriptures. Not knowing the Bible. Specifically, go to uh, Acts 23 verse 8. Acts 23 verse 8. It's already mentioned before, but just for your notes and for this morning... Acts 23, verse 8, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no, no angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Where the Pharisees have two faces, the Sadducees have a lot of skepticism. They have doubt. I was a youth pastor of a church, and there was this, I, I talked to little kids, and bless their hearts, they're all old now, but this one little girl was, was a thorn on my side, and I mean that with all loving, Christian, tactful way. I tell these stories and get them into the, the Bible studies and whatnot, and say, yes, and Jesus walked on the water. This girl, only six, seven years old, would say, are you sure? <laughs> yes. And Noah went and put out the animals in the ark and then the flood. Are you sure? And Elijah went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. What? A chariot? Are you sure? I was about to pull my hair out. Six, seven years old, full of skepticism at that age. Now, skepticism is healthy to a degree. But these, Pharisees, these Sadducees said, look, we don't believe in anything supernatural. If we don't see it now, it just doesn't exist. It's not real. And Jesus says to them, you don't know the power of Scripture. You don't know the power of God's Word. Something about God's Word is supernatural, friends. God, when He speaks, things become a reality. Uh, we mentioned yesterday, the, the sound waves that come from God's mouth become matter and, and, and existence and reality itself. By sheer fact, God needs to almost watch what he says. Amen? In, a, in another way, God can't lie, even if he wanted to. Not that he would because he's God, but even if he tried to lie, the words become reality so it's not a lie because it's truth. It's impossible. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, God cannot lie. Hebrews says it's impossible for God to lie. In my imagination, I, 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 uh, in, uh, humor me with this, with this story. I, I think of when I was little, I'm an only child. We'd sit around the dinner table, and a telemarketer would always call at dinner time, don't they? 
And because then I'm an only child, my parents are like, hey, you get it. And I can't blame a little brother or sister. And I'm like, oh, I got to go get it. And Matt, that was back in the day when there was a corded phone. Remember those? Little twil- the, the, the long time ago. Okay. Ring, ring, ring. My father and mother, you get it. Okay. I'd pick up the phone, and it was a church member. Can I talk to the elder? Da, 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 da. And I'd look towards my father, and my father would do what? My parents taught to me how to lie at a very young age. But I love my parents in in all loving, Christian, tactful way. And I said, oh, they're not here right now. Can you call back at another time? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, da-da-da. Click. If, this is is according to the gospel of, the heretical gospel of, of Justin. If this happened to Jesus, if Jesus was sitting at dinner with Joseph and Mary, and a, a cowbell rings, dingle, 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 and, and, and Joseph and Mary says, hey, go get the cowbell. And Okay, yes. And, then, and he picks up the cowbell and says, hello? He said, can we speak to the carpenter Joseph? Uh, uh, a synagogue is, is fell down. We need to rebuild it or whatever. Uh, and he turns, and if Joseph says, if, if, what did I say, friends? This would not even come into the imagination of Jesus. But if Jesus says, he's not here now, what would have happened? He's not here. He's really not here right now. He's really not. Yeah, yeah, I'll take a message. Okay, synagogue, okay, sure, sure thing. Amen, friends? That is the level of faith we need to have in God's word. God says, fear not, boom, fear, okay, no fear, fear not, okay, no fear. God says, I will give you power, go throughout the world, okay, uh, okay, go out. It is a reality. Amen, friends. And Seventh-day Adventists believe this book to be the full word of God, created, create, this, this, this book creates all of matter. The actual vibration of God's word are encapsulated in this leather-bound book. And we love this book. But there are ranks amongst us who don't love this book. Who, with their skepticism, believe, well, let me just analyze this, and this this contradicts this, and therefore this must be all. They rip it apart. And all you need is what? Jesus didn't say, uh, beware of skepticism. He says, beware of the leaven. The small amount that can leaven the what? The whole. Because of Rene Descartes, philosophy has gone into uh, skepticism mode. The more skeptical you are, the more smarter you are. Right now, there are Adventists who believe to believe in a seven-day creation is ridiculous. They believe the universe was evolved. And they take the presuppositions of liberal scholars out there. I want to read you this, this little quote from David Berlinsky, who is a Jewish agnostic. And he's making fun of the atheists out there. There's a, there's a trend out there, isn't there? You go to Barnes & Nobles and you see all these atheist books that are emerging. And all you have to do, it's very easy to be an atheist. You're just you're sitting there and you're debunking everything. Debunk, 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 debunk. And what, it is, what happens is young people are so attracted to that because they think they're smarter than everyone else. 
Young people, I want to encourage you. If you have a skeptical, if you have a bitter, if you have a cynical mind, if you see problems in the church, use your ability to fix it instead of complain and sit there. If God has given you the ability to see something wrong in the church or something wrong in the local church or something that needs to be improved or whatever, go and be proactive and help in a nice, Christian, loving, tactful, winsome way. Instead of pointing fingers and saying, this church stinks and I'm not going to go to this church ever again. Pray for your pastor. Pray for this church. Let's be proactive instead of reactive. Anyway, God, you read, God, you read this quote. If you don't believe in a seven-day created uh, universe, you have to believe in a different story. And David Berlinski writes, he, this is called the quantum cosmology catechism. And he's asking these atheists about quantum mechanics. From what did our universe evolve? Answer. Our universe evolved from a much smaller, much emptier mini-universe. You may call it an egg. Oh, question. What was this smaller, emptier universe like? It was a four-dimensional sphere with nothing much inside of it. You may think of that as weird. Question. How can a sphere have four dimensions? Answer. A sphere can have four dimensions if it has one more dimension than three. You may think of that as obvious. Question. Does a smaller, emptier universe have a name? Answer. The smaller, empty universe is called a Desider universe. You may think of it, uh, of that, as about time someone paid attention to a guy named Desider. Question. Is there anything else that I should know about the smaller, empty universe? Answer. Yes. It represents a solution to Einstein's field equations. You may think of that as a good thing. Okay. Question. What was that smaller, where was that smaller, emptier universe or egg? Answer. It was in a place where space as we know it did not exist. It is called a sack. Question. When was it there? Answer. It was there at a time when time as we know it did not exist. You may think of this as a mystery. Question. Where did this egg and the sack come from? Answer. The egg did not actually come from anywhere. You may think of this as astonishing. Question. If the egg did not come from anywhere, how did it get there? Answer. The egg got there because the wave function of the universe said it was probable. You may, think of this, you may think of this as a done deal. Question. How did this universe evolve from the egg? Answer. It evolved by inflating itself up from its sack to become a universe in which we now find ourselves. You may think of this as just one of those things that happened. He concludes this. This catechism is not a paradigm of quantum cosmology. It is quantum cosmology. This is, what, this is what's being taught at the highest levels of education. I actually went to a, a friend of mine who is a quantum physicist, and I asked him, is this what's, what's really being taught? Is, there such, is it really called an egg? Yes. And this egg came from a sack? Yes. And this, they don't know where the sack came from. Well, no, we have no idea. And you believe this? Yes. And we have the mathematics to prove it. Oh. What about the mystery? Yeah, that's still a mystery. 
Whoa. We have, we're living in a society that's going through intellectual gymnastics to go around God. We really are. There's another movement uh, in Christianity and, and also in Adventism. It's called the postmodern movement. It's being uh, systematized and, and some are calling it the emergent movement. How many have heard of that? It's taking skepticism to its ultimate degree. It's saying, look, we need to be humble. There is nothing that we can be, uh, have assurance about. To have any assurance is to be arrogant. Do you believe in Jesus? Don't, you can't believe in Jesus. How can you be that arrogant to believe in objective truth? How can you be that absolute? We need to learn from the Muslims we need to learn from the Buddhists. We need to learn from the terrorists. We need to learn from those who don't believe in God. And when they all put them together, it might be truth. There's nothing new, but it's been repackaged and it's coming into our church. My question is, how do you know that even emergent theology is true? Nothing is true. Well, is that true? Uh, no. Wait, wait. Yet, you see the contradiction there. Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, skepticism and unbelief are not humility. Amen, friends? Skepticism and unbelief are not humility. Implicit belief in God's word is true humility, true surrender. We read the scriptures and we say, you know what, I don't understand this. But I submit, and I'll humble myself before this word. I believe. That doesn't mean you need to surrender your brain. But it does mean you have to surrender your heart. And you wait for the time until your brain catches up to your faith. Liberal scholars today are embracing skepticism, higher criticism. They deny the primacy of Scripture, the totality of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. Scripture is being attacked. But you know, GYC is coming and saying, look, we are sick and tired of this. We're sick and tired of the baby boomer generation entering into the ranks and, and bringing their hippiness to youth culture and saying, you don't need the Bible anymore. We just need to hang out, dude. We just need to drink some coffee and, and, and listen to just cool new age music and just chill and have peace and the next generation saying okay that's cool but that's kind of getting old we kind of know we want, we want to get serious I just had dinner with two friends from Walla Walla University they're saying we're sick and tired of the same message over and over and over again they're saying Okay, we believe in God's grace. We believe in love. We believe that we're saved. That we're, God can save us, all these things. But we're tired if we hear it at every chapel service, every Friday night, every Sabbath, for every year, for four years. I have another friend who's at Loma Linda University. She stopped coming at the church. She was a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian. She went to Loma Linda University. She's like, I hate the grace-laced message. I don't deny grace. I love grace. But is, is that all that there is? Because if that is, then I don't need to go to church to hear that again. And she lost her faith. 
What I'm saying, we're not denying that aspect. We're not denying justification, but we need justification, sanctification together to experience glorification someday. Why deny one aspect? Perhaps our church has been too sanctification-oriented in the past. And as a reaction, we've gone to justification only. We need both together. It's the same side of the coin, friends. I have another friend at AUC. There's another friend at CUC. Avenue schools have become the same as regular non-Avenue schools. There's a crisis of faith happening. And when GYC started... Let's get the friends who are serious and let's get together. I wrote an email to my friend Andrea, Andrea Oliver at Princeton University. Hey, Andrea, and you'll see the first email that's it's printed in the book uh, for this purpose, uh, a compilation of the, the sermons that we put together from GYC. I wrote to her an email like, look, I'm getting tired of this. Let's get together and let's be serious. Let's go all out. I told another friend in another university, hey, let's come together. Let's just be serious. Let's go all out. GYC was a response to the liberalism out there. Not to swing back to conservatism, but to find a biblical, passionate uh, centeredness in Jesus. Don't let anyone say GYC is that liberal convention. And if anyone says that, that I don't know where they're coming from. And don't let anyone say GYC is that ultra-conservative movement. Everybody thinks they're right in the middle, don't they? Everyone thinks they're in the middle. We got to be scripturally centered, not politically centered. Friends, Jesus mentioned three types of yeast. Three types of yeast. First was the Pharisees. Two, facedness. Second was the, uh, the Sadducees, the skepticism. What was the third? Do you remember the third? Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you're there, please say amen. Mark chapter 6. Jesus mentions, Beware of the leaven of Herod. Read from verse 14 onwards. King Herod heard him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Excuse me. Verse 15. Others said it is Elijah, and others said it is the prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold on, upon John, and uh, bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, who he had married. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Verse 19, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, and he would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him. And when he had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So here's Herod on the throne of, of whatever, and he uh, had just killed John the Baptist. John the Baptist was his pastor. Herod had gone to church. He heard John the Baptist gladly. But one day, his brother Philip dies mysteriously for some unknown reason that we don't know, just dies. And the day after, Herod marries Herodias. Why they have a similar name, I have no idea. And they're living together. Perhaps they're cohabitating together. And John the Baptist comes out 
And with Elijah's style, the Elijah spirit, he says, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. There is a marriage here that is incorrect. Just as Elijah went to Ahab and Jezebel and pointed out their faults, so did, uh, so did John the Baptist. And here, Jesus is emerging, talking around and all these things, and, and Herod is having a flashback. Man, is Elijah alive again? Did he resurrect himself? And he's, and he's worried. Keep reading, and we see the story of what actually happened, how, and you all know this. Verse, 20, uh, verse 21. And when a convenient day was come, Herod, on his birthday, made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. When the daughter of the, uh, daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced, and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask me, I will give it thee unto half of my kingdom. This girl went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. She didn't wait a second for that answer. Verse 25, She came in straightway with haste unto the king and said, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. Verse 26, The king was exceedingly sorry. Yet for his own sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. 27, immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. Brought his head in a charger, gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. You see the story here. Little girl, all the dances in front of us, all these intoxicated men. And John the Baptist, uh, Herod. Herod said, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. Girl goes to mom. Mom says, give me the head of John the Baptist. And they execute him. Scripture says it's interesting. Verse 26. The king was what? The king was exceedingly sorry. Imagine, you know, I'm a pastor and one of my church members had to kill me. This is a loving church member. He came to church every single day. And here John the Baptist, uh, uh, Herod, is struggling. Should I kill my pastor or not? Perhaps the alcohol kind of got in the way of rational thinking. But Scripture doesn't mention this. It mentions two reasons. What was the first reason? Verse 26. Yet for his oath's sake, and what? And for the sakes which sat with him. You ever say something... And you realize that other people are watching, so you keep going with your stupid action because other people are watching you? You know what I'm talking about? My father and I were arguing once at Thanksgiving. It was a stupid argument. Very, very stupid. I was telling my father, uh, Dad, young people are getting married later and later in life. Later and later and later. My father said, no, no, no. Young people are getting earlier and earlier and earlier. No, 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 Dad. All my friends are getting married later and later. No, no, son. You don't have the experience of my 50 years. I've seen with my eyes they're getting younger and younger. But, Dad, I studied sociology. I'm just pulling stuff out of nowhere at this point. And you know, it kind of gets heated. I studied sociology. And the trends say that young people are getting later and later. And my dad says, well, son, I've lived 30 years longer than you, and I know more than you do. 
that is the most ridiculous argument, whatever, da da da. And, and he's getting heated, and I'm getting, and both of us, in our minds, we know that both of us are wrong. We know that. Young people are getting late, are married older and later. This has been the same for all ages. But my mother was sitting there. She wanted to eat Thanksgiving dinner. And she's, she's listening intently. And my father did not want to lose to a, a young, you know, uh, son in front of his wife. And here was why, and I didn't want to lose before my father. And here we are, we know we're both wrong. But because my mother sat there, I'm going to fight till the end. <laughs> and my father saw my mother there, I'm not going to lose in front of my wife. And we're getting heated and heated and heated. Have you ever had those experiences? You married folk. Don't you fight with each other all the time? You know you're wrong inside. You know you're like a plane that's about to crash. You know there's no way of getting out of this argument. But because of your pride, you still keep flying the airplane. And you have the hope that it may go up someday. Pride is infective, friends. Pride is when you know you're going down. Everything intellectually, everything physically, everything emotionally says, this is wrong, this is wrong. But pride says, keep going down. What pride is, is a reflection of Satan's character. Satan wishes to etch his character on all of us. Satan's going down, friends. You know that? Satan is on his way, but he thinks he can sustain it for as long as And he wants to bring all of us down with him. And pride is how he does it. When I was a youth pastor, I, I had these, uh, at Berrien Springs, my, the, the boys there wanted to inaugurate me as my first day of a youth pastor. They wanted me to throw me into Lake Michigan. Here I am, a, a beanie Korean guy. I have these tall dudes come up to me and they pick me up. And the minute that they pick me up, I've, I pretty much succumbed. I'm like, there is no way I'm going to get out of this. You know, you struggle for a little bit. I'm like, all right. And I just kind of, they carried me to the river or to the lake. And then I tried thinking into, like, how can I get, hey, I have my cell phone. They went into my pocket. They took my cell phone out, continued on. Hey, I have my wallet. Got my wallet. There's pretty much my hope is gone. There's no way I can get out of this. But in my mind, I thought of something this, this just evil. If I'm going down, I'm going down no matter what. But I don't want to go down alone. I'm going to bring as many people down with me. So here I am being, you know, frog marched down to the uh, lake there. And with the grip of death, I take a t-shirt that I see, uh, grab it next to me. I don't know whose it is. And I say, whatever happens, I'm not letting this t-shirt go with my life. Why? My pride is at stake. The strength of my grip is my pride. They swing me into the water, and that momentum, I carry this poor soul with me, and I say, I'm not going to go in the water. This, is, this all happened in a matter of two seconds, but you know, in, in milliseconds, you're just thinking, ah, this guy is going to go into the water first. So the grip of death, I jerk him forward and I plunge him into the water and I baptize him <laughs> and I go in right after him. 
when I emerge, it was my best friend. And I said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. First of all, you should have done this, but I'm so sorry to do this to you. <laughs> Satan has a group of death friends. This is a human hand, but imagine an angel's hand. He's not going down by himself. He doesn't want to. But friends, as strong as Satan's hand is, we have hands that have been pierced that are much stronger. Much, much stronger. Friends, I want to ask you, is there pride in your life today? I know that's a general, that's general, of course, we all do. But I'm saying all you need is what? Leaven. A small piece and infects the whole. I'm going to conclude with one, one more verse and we'll call it quits for today. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 8. 6 through 8. You're there, please say amen. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and weakness, uh, wickedness, but with the unleavened of what? Sincerity and the unleavened bread of truth. As the Jews are cleaning their rooms in preparation from Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, we as Seventh-day Adventists must clean our hearts in preparation because the Day of Atonement is now. Jesus is in heaven cleaning the sanctuary on our behalf. In the meantime, let us clean our hearts. My question to you this morning is, do you have the leaven of hypocrisy in your hearts? Raise your hands. Do you have the leaven of skepticism where you keep your hands up high, friends? Your hand is a plea to heaven asking the Lord to clean me, purge me. Do you have the leaven of pride in your hearts? I'm not asking for blown out yeast, but just only one speck and it leavens the whole. Your hand is a prayer, Lord, purge me, purge me white as snow. Friends, if that's your sincere desire, stand up right now. We're going to start the Sabbath off on a right note, Sabbath morning on a right note. Lord, purge me this morning. Purge me this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we desire to be a people prepared for your second coming. Bless this group. Bless every person inside the walls of this convention hall. Father, we seek to do a mass spring cleaning of our hearts. I implore thee to look upon each hand that has been risen, each person who is standing up. Father, we desire not to be conservative or liberal. We, conser we, desire, we desire to be like Jesus, Lord. And if that means to be conservative on some things, so be it. And if that means to be liberal on other things, so be it. But we want to be like Jesus. Father, may we be close to your word. May we know the power of scripture. Father, we ask for true humility. May we forsake pride. And Father, may we 
have just one face, Lord. Stop the acting, stop the fakeness, and strengthen us in the things that which we as human beings cannot do. Bless us for the rest of the Sabbath day. We pray this in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.